Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning message. I hope you're enjoying this wonderful day. We are uh, drying out some here in western North Carolina. I hope where you're at, you're having a wonderful Sunday. I trust that God has blessed you really well. As we go into the message today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1 is where we will begin our text. But before we go there, let's take a, a couple of minutes and let's do prayer. It's always good to open up a message or the study of God's word in prayer. It's also good to remember each other in prayer. I'm certain each one of you that are watching or listening today have a prayer request. I'm certain that you have something near and dear to your heart. I'm certain that God has laid some burden upon you. Whatever that may be, you're welcome to join us in prayer. If you would like, you're welcome to post it. You're welcome to send it in the Facebook Live message for others, for others to remember as well. We don't want to get so wrapped up in any one component that we forget each other. After all, Jesus died to save sinners. And if you are a saint of God today, you are one of those whom he has redeemed. If nothing else, you have a privilege today to just say thank you. So without any further ado, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's open our service today and let's just thank the Lord for everything that he has done in our lives this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of opening your word today. Thank you, dear Lord, for all of those who are joining us, all of those who will be led to listen Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the word that you've given today, that you would anoint it, that you would send it out and touch hearts and lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that some lost sinner will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. I furthermore pray that some wayward child of God would be drawn back into your loving, kind arms. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling today, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance may be, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would comfort them. I pray that you would take that burden, and I pray that you would show them that you are the answer. Lord, I pray that you would just touch hearts and lives as you look down from your throne, and as you see the need. Heavenly Father, we'll be careful to praise, honor, and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with 
chains. And because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And, all, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus, afar off he ran and he worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there were nine to the mountain, a great herd of swine, feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place and into the sea. They were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it is that was done. And they come to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told him now how it befell him, that he was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him uh, that he might go with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. The story of the maniac at Gadara. Jesus has just came across the Sea of Galilee, and if you were with us on our last message, you, you got the understanding of the storm that was there, and how it applies to storms that are in your life. Well, Jesus has arrived here at Gadara. Jesus is moving forward. And while here in Gadara, do you realize that Jesus came there for just one person? For this maniac. He didn't, he didn't do any miracles with anyone else. He came there to free this man. Jesus can arrive in a place for one person and one person only. So this morning, 
I want to share with you the word that the Lord has given regarding the maniac who was a redeemed messenger. Dr. Alan Carr told a story of Jacob Kashi, and I would like to share that story with you today. Now, I do not know if Alan knew this firsthand or if it was shared to him, but I read it from a, uh, from a post that he had made and from a message that he had posted, and I thought it was fitting for this passage. So I wanted to share it. Jacob Kashi grew up in Singapore with one ambition, to be a success in life, to gain all the money and possessions that he could. And that led him into the world of drugs and gambling, and eventually he became the lord of an international smuggling network. In 1980, he was arrested and placed in a government rehab prison in Singapore. He was a smoker, yet cigarettes weren't allowed in the center. Instead, he smuggled in tobacco, and he rolled it in the pages of the Gideon Bible. One day, he fell asleep while smoking. He awoke, and he found the cigarette had burned itself out, and all that remained was a scrap of charred paper. He unrolled it and read what was written, and all it said, all that was there was Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Jacob asked for another Bible, and he read the entire story of the, of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He suddenly realized that if God could help someone like Saul, God could help him too. There in his cell, he knelt and prayed, asking Christ to come into his life and change him. He began crying, and he couldn't stop. The tears of a wasted life washed away his pain, and God redeemed him. He started sharing his story with other prisoners, and as soon as he was released, he became involved in the church. He met a Christian woman, and he married, and he is now a missionary in the Far East, where he tells people far and wide, who would have believed that I could find the truth by smoking the Word of God? In today's text, we read about a man who, unlike Jacob Koshy, had no ambition for life. None whatsoever. He was lost in sin, and he was headed to hell. That is, until Jesus intervened in his life. On his way to Gadara, as we've talked, Jesus demonstrated his power over the nature by calming the sea. At Gadara, he's going to demonstrate his power over sin and Satan by redeeming this man. So without any further introduction, let's move into our text and let's notice first the maniac's condition. This man lived his life among the dead. He was a sad, lonely, hurting, longing, unloved, and unwanted individual. His life was tragic. Yet today, in the 21st century, when we look around and we, in some of our situations, we're not going to have to look very far, and we're going to find someone 
living in a tragic situation. We're going to find someone that is sad, lonely, hurting, longing, and unloved. Some unwanted individual. Someone who is living their life among the dead. Picture a person that is separated from God by the gulf of sin. Someone who is wrapped up in a life of sexual immorality. Someone who is wrapped up in a life of drugs or alcohol. Someone who is wrapped up in a life of violence and crime. Someone that is wrapped up in a life of corporate crime and lying and cheating and stealing. Someone who is wrapped up in loneliness. Someone who has allowed sin and Satan to mold and shape their life. We not only consider the condition or the home of the person, but we also need to stop and not be judgmental. But we need to consider the helplessness of the person. He is a man who is out of control. Others have tried to intervene in his life, but to no avail. Today we have people and families and friends who do interventions to people who are in desperate situations. And many times these interventions, if they work at all, it is for a short-lived period of time. And often the individual in the intervention will just agree to go along with it long enough to get free from the people in the program so they can have a free shot back into the sin and back into the situation that they came out of. But it's going to be of no avail. Their passions are stronger than the intervention's ability to control them. No man is able to change this person. He is a man or a woman sold under the influence of evil. Again, he's a picture of a lost person who is out of control and under the strong influence of sin. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. And you know what? That's not just one out of a million. That is more common than you realize. As a matter of fact, if you're a saint of God today and you're listening to this, you too at one time was a maniac in Gadara. You, your situation and circumstances may have been different, but you were living among the dead. You were there, and you were living in a situation that was separated from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 remind us, Wherein times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past with the lust of the flesh. We all had our conversation, our conduct with the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. If the apostle Paul knew it to write it to the Ephesians, Bless God, it's true today in your life and my life. So the next time we want to start pointing a finger at the life of someone else, we need to stop and remember we too were seen in God's eyes just like that person. And instead of being pushing away 
look for a way to find and point that person to Jesus or to point Jesus to that person. You see, we too were helpless in our day and in an hour an hour until Jesus came to us in our time of need. And we need to be do and to be everything that we can in pointing others to Jesus and praying Jesus into the lives of others who need him. People who care try to intervene in lives and it does no good, but it creates sometimes resentment and rebellion. The person that you're trying to help. Instead of it trying to be you that solves the problem, let it be Jesus that solves the problem. Point Jesus into that helpless person's life. Point that helpless person to the Savior who has the power, the power to cast out those demons that are so troublesome to him. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray. As a matter of fact, it ought to encourage us to pray. It ought to encourage us to reach out. But we shouldn't take it personal when that's rejected by others. Lost men are just what they are until Jesus changes them. You see, it is not you that saves somebody. It is not me that saves somebody. It is Jesus who saves someone. It is our job to be the messenger. It is our job to be the maniac that has been converted to the messenger so that other maniacs can have that same testimony in their lives. So it is not us to take anything personal if Jesus is rejected. It is us, though, to take it personal when Jesus asks us to be his messenger and to pray and to proclaim and to preach and to love and to be that messenger that shares Jesus with others. Well, just as we consider the helplessness of the lost, we need to consider the hopelessness of the lost. And we need to notice that his torment was continual. When someone is hopeless, they have nothing to look forward to, day or night. They look for nothing but trouble. They expect nothing but violence in their life. They expect nothing but those who try but to injure, but to injure themselves or injure others. You see, I have a job where I work in the prison system, and I am around those convicted of murder and rape and, and crimes against children and all kinds of violence. There are those there who are hopeless in their lives, and when they're hopeless, they are violent. They want to injure themselves. They want to injure others. They want to end their life. They want to die and get out of the situation. That is a picture of hopelessness in the lives of a person. But there are others there who are spending the rest of their lives locked in bars. But they have no, that hopelessness is gone. They have hope because they have met Jesus Christ. I wish you could hear the encouraging testimonies that I hear of people who have been in this situation of hopelessness, who have been saved. Oh, yes, I know some of you are calling out jailhouse religion. You're not telling me nothing I haven't seen. I'm well experienced with that. I'm also well experienced with the reality of some people are saved 
by Jesus Christ. Some people that are standing in the prison systems today are truly born again. Now, folks, I have seen hopelessness turned into heavenly testimony. I have seen hopelessness kill people because of its satanic roots and depths. Hopelessness is real in the lost person's life. Hopelessness is real in that individual who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But in order to avoid the hopelessness, in order to get around and get through the helplessness, we must also consider the helper. That he needs someone to rescue him, doesn't he? He needs someone to do for him what he cannot do for himself. He needs someone to reach farther down than he can reach up. Think about that statement for just a moment. He needs someone that can reach down farther than he can reach up. But saint, before you were saved, you can only reach up so high, so far as a lost person. Yet, Jesus, in his authority, Jesus in his love, Jesus in all of his glory, can reach down farther than you could reach up. He can pick you up. He could pull you up. He could lift you out of the mire and the murky sin that controlled your life. He could help you. He could love you. 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. How long are we going to have to reach up? The Lord knows. Some of us spent a long time reaching up before the Lord reached down. Some of us, some of us went deep into sin before the Lord reached down to pull us up. He knows what he's doing. He knows our hearts. He knows when the time is right. He knows what he needs to do and when he needs to do it. Jesus. Jesus calls us to repentance. Jesus reaches down when the time is right and when our heart is ready. You see, he is there to be our helper. He is there to reach down and be our redeemer. He knows when our heart is right. He knows when our heart is ready. He knows when things are moving in the right direction. He knows when we're ready to cry out. I believe, I believe. Lord Jesus, I believe. How about you today? Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he's calling out to you? Do you believe he's reaching down? I believe he's reaching down to some lost sinner today. I believe there's a sinner that is listening and watching and hearing. And I want you to know, if you feel Jesus reaching down to you, Reach up and grasp that hand. Reach up and let him help you out of that situation that you're in. Let him redeem you, not be an intervention for you. 
Let him do the work in your life that only a Savior can do. Now I want you to notice with me the maniac's conversion. Notice it was divine. That which this man nor anyone else can do was accomplished by Jesus. One word from Jesus and this man was free. One word. He was forever changed by the power of Jesus. Jesus makes all the difference. A person who is saved solely by trusting Jesus is someone that we can place our faith in for salvation. It's pure. It is a pure gift of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says there is no way to earn it by works. There's no way to secure it by religion. The only way is to get it by faith. And do you know the maniac of Gadara isn't the only testimony we have in God's Word. And the maniac of Gadara is not just the only bad person that gives us a picture of sin and life. Why we have the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And after she was, after she was saved, she said, I've got to go and I've got to tell. Remember blind Bartimaeus in Matthew chapter 10. How about the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8? How about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5? How about the leper in Mark 1 or the blind man in John 9? How about Saul of Tarsus himself in Acts 9? How about all of the disciples in Matthew chapter 4? How about Lazarus being called from the dead in John chapter 11? And what about me today? What about me? I was lost and I was undone. I was wandering around in a world of sin. And I was being led by Satan through dark and depths of depravity. Yet Jesus reached down at the right time in my life. And I reached up and I took his hand. And my life was new. It started over again. It was something that was real. It was divine. It was something I couldn't do. It was something that only Jesus could do. Wouldn't you like to have that in your life today? You could. If Jesus is reaching down for you today, you can have it. If you're listening to this message today, Jesus is reaching down for you. He's asking you to reach up and call upon him to forgive your sin. Saint, if you're saved and you've wandered away from God, he's calling out to you to come back, to come back and to get back into the fold, to come back and to be the person, the testimony that he called you to be. Not only was it divine, but it was dramatic. The verse tells us that the demons left and entered a herd of 2,000 swine, and they were drowned. That's dramatic. It grabbed the attention of those that are around them. When someone is saved, it gathers attention. 
part of that attention may be criticism. Those who are doubtful, those who remain in a lost state, yeah, I remember when he or she was this, and I remember this, and I remember that. Let them remember all they want to do, all they want to. Bless God, the dramatic event of being saved happened in your life, and you have testimony of it. And that's the way salvation is Anytime it occurs. It's dramatic. In every life that it occurs, it's dramatic. A life is changed. Hell is robbed of another victim. Death is cheated. Satan loses another battle. God is glorified. There's rejoicing in heaven. A sinner is forever redeemed. Glory to God. Can you understand that today? Can you grab it today? The swine were sacrificed with the demons after a person was saved. The drama of what salvation does. It defeats hell. It defeats hell. Nothing is more dramatic. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things become new. Old things are passed away. God doesn't remember them. They're washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Saints, that ought to give you something to shout about today. Sinner, that ought to give you something to reach for today. There's hope, and there's confidence, and there's redemption in Jesus Christ. Not only is it dramatic, it's definite. When those who ran to town to tell what had happened returned with the townspeople, they were greeted by an amazing sight. That uncontrollable demonic man was just sitting there looking around. He had a big smile on his face. He wasn't crying out. He wasn't hurting himself. He was clothed. He was naked no more. He was just sitting there fellowshipping with Jesus as normal as anyone else could. Wouldn't you like to have true fellowship with Jesus today? Wouldn't you like to sit down and open the Bible and instead of reading about your life and instead of reading about the consequences of the sin that you're involved in and instead of that conviction and that reality weighing upon you. Wouldn't you like to open it and wouldn't you like to read about your victory in Jesus? Your what Jesus overcome for you. What Jesus pulled you out of. What Jesus done in your life and helped you through. Wouldn't you like to find that passages and those scriptures? Wouldn't you like to have that testimony? Wouldn't you like to know that definite feeling of Jesus being your Lord and Savior. He was calmed. The saved are calmed. 
peace had replaced torment. There's no conviction. When we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, we have a peace. Now that doesn't mean that every moment in life is going to be peaceful. But it means that even in the storm, as we looked at at the end of chapter 4, even in the storms of life, there's going to be peace because of the presence of Jesus. It's what Jesus does for all of those who trust him, for all of those who come into his life and accept him as Lord and Savior and allow him to come into their life. It's who Jesus is. He's a calming influence. Notice this man was clothed. Notice how calmly he was sitting there. The work that Christ done on the inside produced changes on the outside. Those clothes were an illustration of changes on the outside. When you're saved, the work that Jesus does on the inside of your heart and life is going to be reflected on the outside. People are going to notice it. Things that used to be funny aren't going to be funny anymore. Things that used to interest you aren't going to interest you anymore. Things that were that you took for granted and were you're going to take seriously now. There's going to be changes on the outside that people are going to notice. And through those changes you're going to have a testimony. A testimony to tell others about your Savior. Not only was he clothed, but he was controlled. Now they see that he was in his right mind. He, had, he was no longer out of control. He was no longer driven by demonic forces. He's completely sane. What happens? This is what happens when a sinner comes to faith in Jesus. Their heart has been changed. The outward man is changed. The mind is changed. The person is born again. There's a new spirit that takes over. He's under control. He's not just moving as he's driven by the forces of hell. He is moved by the spirit. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. He, is, he has his mind re being renewed. He's no longer self-indulgent. He's no longer being selfish and self-centered. He's no longer violent and vicious. So, when we are saved, we too see these things. Well, we've seen the man's condition and we've seen the man's conversion, but what about the man's commission? There isn't a single one of us who God has saved and he has saved us to do nothing. No, every one of us is saved to a task. One of the surest evidences of the reality of salvation is a desire to do the Lord's work. Now, that desire can be frightening, but yet we have it. There's plenty of saved people today who are running from the desire to do the Lord's work. But I want you to understand something. That desire is never going to leave. 
That desire is never going to be overwhelmed with anything this world can put in front of it. This desire is not a choice that you have to make. It's a commission that you have to fulfill. When we're saved, we are saved to be a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, the church body. And we are saved to do a work. Notice with me the man's wish. The man wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus. Yet, Jesus told him, no, his job wasn't to be with him. His job was to go tell others. From a human point of view, nothing says as much about your love for Jesus and the reality of your salvation than does a burning desire to be near Jesus. Everyone should want to be near Jesus, that is, truly saved. Being near to Jesus is the singing of hymns. Being near to Jesus is the reading and the study of the Word. Being near to Jesus is a strong and healthy prayer life. All of these are being near to Jesus. But that's what the man wanted. He wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus already had his twelve. He already had those whom he had called to be there near with him. Jesus now was calling messengers. This man was redeemed from a maniac to be a messenger for the glory of God and for the salvation message of Jesus Christ. It was the Master's will. While surely the Lord was thrilled by the man's love, Jesus knew that there were others who needed to hear what God had done for this man. You see, Jesus could have already went into that town and Jesus could have already preached the message and Jesus could have took this redeemed maniac with him and Jesus could have said this and said that. But no, those people had to believe by faith and they had to see for themselves what the power of God had done in this man's life as a witness and as a testimony to the glory of Jesus. The Master's will was for this man to do what we are saved and called to do today. This is a beautiful picture of the Great Commission after a person is saved. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus would have you and I be doing today in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in, in our meetings out in the public, when we are there visiting with folks and doing whatever we do and go about. Are we taking Jesus with us? Are we taking him with us? What's the Master's will in your life? Are you following it today? How about this work, the man's work? When this redeemed man heard the will of the Lord for his life, he didn't hesitate. He went home, even though the townspeople said, we're afraid of you, get out of here, leave us alone. Jesus said, no, don't listen to them. You go to town and you tell them. And he did. This man proved his conversion by being obedient to the will of God. He simply did what the Lord asked him to do without question, without example. Remember James? 
And James chapter 2 verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. This man was showing faith by works. He wasn't trying to work his way to heaven. He had already been saved for that. He was just celebrating and glorifying God by doing what the Lord had asked him to do. You see, this man went from being in a lost and desperate condition to being saved, to being called, and to being obedient. So I want to ask you today, which situation are you in? There are three situations that come out of this text. One is a lost person. That's being called to salvation. Two is a person that is saved and may not be following the direction and the will of the Master. And three is a person who is saved and is following the will of the Master. You're going to find yourself in one of those three conditions. If they aren't my conditions, they aren't something that I came up with. This comes straight out of this passage. Where are you in relation to God's Word? Where are you found in this text? If, if you're lost today and you need Jesus as your Savior, He is reaching down His hand for you right now. Will you reach up and grab it? If you are saved and you've been running from the Master's will, isn't it time you turn around and face it and accept it and embrace it? Repent of that running. Get right with God and get out and start doing His work in His will. And if you are doing His work in His will, don't be discouraged today. Because there's there are things going on that you are a part of, that your testimony is a part of, that God is using. You may not see them this side of eternity, but they're there. God loves you. And God wants you to keep doing that work. As you read back over this story, and I want to encourage you to read it. Read it and study it. God will bless you. He will bless you. He will save you. He will commission you. And He will empower you to reach others for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and Lord God, thank you for the privilege of opening your word. Lord, I pray that it returns to you uh, as you intend it to, that it doesn't come to you void, that it accomplishes everything you've purposed it to do. Lord, I pray for the lost that are out there today. I pray for those who are struggling to do your will. Lord, I pray for those who may feel as, as though they're trying and they're not getting anywhere. Heavenly Father, I pray for encouragement in all of those things. Lord, I ask that you would save the lost. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way among and over this land before it's too late. Heavenly Father, we know the end is close and we know the rapture may be near. 
And Lord, we just want to see Jesus lifted up and glorified. In his name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. May God bless you as my prayer. Join us next week.